0: Hello, my friends, I hope you have a nice long drive ahead of you, or maybe a nice long walk that you're going on because today's episode is a big one. (laughs) It's also a really juicy episode. I've got Brian Hood on. He is the host of the Six Figure Creative Podcast, which is a fantastic podcast, not just for photographers, but for creatives and freelancers of all kinds. And today we're talking about a concept that he has talked about before on his show that I really love. And it is the six levels of freelancing. And regardless of whether you are brand new as a photographer or have been in business for ages and you're, you know, you've got it all dialed in, I think that this episode is going to be really eye opening for you because it basically spells out the sequence of events that happens in just about any freelancer's business that takes you from beginner to very well-established professional and even beyond. Um, And I think that by identifying those steps and understanding where you are on that scale, you are going to be able to more clearly see what you're aiming for next and sort of get a preview of what's to come Which I think is one really important way to prevent yourself from getting stuck and burned out. So because this is a long episode, I'm not going to give you anything further. I am just going to turn it over to our conversation. It was a really great one and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to This Can't Be That Hard. My name is Anami Tonkin and I help photographers run profitable, sustainable businesses that they love. Each week on the podcast, I cover simple, actionable strategies and systems that photographers at every level of experience can use to earn more money in a more sustainable way. Running a photography business doesn't have to be that hard. You can do it, and I can show you how. Brian Hood, welcome finally to This Can't Be That Hard. It is so great to have you on the show today. How have you been?
1: I have been awesome. It's been, I've been wanting to be on your show since I had you on my show like over a year ago. So, totally hey, it's nice. finally happened. It's Better finally right, than happened. Ever,
0: right? And it's not going to, it's not going to be another year before it happens again, because when we were going back and forth, you sent a few ideas of things to talk about. And I literally could not choose. This is almost <laughs> like I just threw a dart at the dartboard. I listened to your podcast. You always have such great stuff. And I love that you speak to creatives in sort of in a more general way, as opposed to, and you come from a sound engineering background, right?
1: Music Um, production, but yeah. Music
0: production, sorry. This is like, my brother's a furniture maker. And if I call him a woodworker, he's like, seriously, what's up? Why? (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, (laughs) I just don't know that space very well. Anyway, but I love because so many of these business strategies and thoughts and whatever apply to multiple fields. And creatives, in a larger sense, generally aren't great at all of them. So, anyway, you and I have all of those things in. Uh, I like to think in common. So, I'm excited to have you on today. To yeah, talk. I mean
1: that's the that's the basic thesis of the podcast. Yeah. Is I learned the hard way in the music production space that when I looked to my peers for what I should do, all I found was more examples of what I shouldn't do, mm-hmm. and I found what I should do from all the other creative industries. And mm-hmm. so I decided, like, I need to learn from everyone else. And and truth be told, not just creatives and freelancers. I even branched out further to other broader markets like software and other kind of places that have figured out marketing better Mm -hmm. to learn these things. So that's, I try to bring all that back to our audience at the Six Figure Creative Podcast.
0: Yeah. I talk. I mean, one of the things I remember learning in photography when I was starting out was if you are looking for photographic inspiration, maybe get out of the photography space, go to a museum and look at some fine art. I think that getting a little bit out of our You know, tiny little niche can be really good too. So today we are... The dart landed on the dartboard at talking about the six levels of freelancing. So I want to kind of jump right into, you know, where you came up with this and, and what you mean when you say that.
1: This actually came from a podcast episode I heard in the software space, because I have two software companies and I learned a lot about that world over the years. And the podcaster was just talking about the six, like the six phases or steps in a software business. And so naturally my brain goes to the same thing in my own world and mm-hmm. freelancing is like, what are the six, what are the six steps or the six levels in our world? And I, I like the term levels better because it's easy to like look back on what level, try to place yourself, what level am I in right now? What are the, the things that put me in that level? And then what does it take to get me to that next level? Um, and you and I were joking off air before we recorded. I hate the phrase, get to the next level because it's like the most tropey phrase in marketing. But in this case, we will we will have a hall pass for that phrase. And we'll talk about like, hey, let's talk about each of these six levels place yourself on the on the, the ladder here if you want to look mm-hmm. at it that way and think through what do we do to get to the next level as a freelancer? Because no matter where you are as a listener right now, you're, you are most likely, unless I miss something <laughs> horribly here, you are most likely on one of these six levels. And unless you're on the final level, which is a very small percentage of people, then there's always the next level to get to. And truth be told, even there's some past level six that I haven't even achieved myself. So <laughs> sure. I, I'll let you know when I get there. Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, The view from the top is great. Well, good. Okay, so let's start out as one would with level one. Talk to me about where somebody comes into the freelancing space.
1: Okay, so uh, level one is what I call the yes mode freelancer. And so any if like you remember back when you first started, I remember when I first started and anyone that I've ever talked to who's like in that starting phase, Where they're just trying to get their first like batch of clients build a portfolio they're in what i call yes mode and you Mm -hmm. should be in that phase Mm -hmm. where you're saying yes to anyone that'll pay you money and this is because essentially to say it as nice as i can you're a noob right like you don't have you're not proven you don't have anyone who will really vouch for you you don't have the experience and track record of somebody who's been doing this for years and so therefore you have to build that up and the only way to build that up is to just say yes to whoever Mm -hmm. will We'll say yes to you. And um, before I go any further, level one, I do want to just mention something. And this is important for anyone who might be in one of these lower levels is, and I also like the level analogy because of video games. I've, I've played video games and I still do occasionally. In video games, like when you're like the level one noob and you come into the game and everyone's like level 60 and like they have their crazy armor and their powers and like you're just little level one noob here it can feel frightening it can feel mm-hmm. terrifying it can feel like you're an imposter it can feel like you are under equipped and that you're never going to make it to those people and that's why i say like never compare your level one starter journey to those level 60 f- like last last level people who've been at it for forever like right. you've got to take just look to like stay in your lane mm-hmm. focus on the step ahead of you and start leveling up your character so it's the same in freelancing Is like hey just stay in your lane. Do what you know will work and uh, don't get discouraged. So right. I have a couple of characteristics I put for people in this level, like people that they, they have lots of passion as freely. And by the way, sorry, if I talk fast, no. I when I get passionate about something, I talk so fast and we just got like a two star review on our podcast because I talk too fast. <laughs> and so if I talk fast, I can't help it. You just got to listen fast. So if you usually listen to this podcast at one point five X speed, just slow down to one for me today. OK, well, uh, yeah. all right. So. We got lots of passion. We started this, this gig because we love something. And for a lot of your listeners, it's photography, my background, music production. Uh, for some people, it can be design. for something. And it's always some sort of creativity, passion-driven thing. And the, the things that we're lacking are skills. There are a lot of skills that we lack. Some of them might still be in our creative niche where we're just not quite as good as we should be at the skill that we are as a creative. But a lot of times, it's not that. It is the lack of other skills that we have to start building up as a freelancer and this is what I call on my podcast a full stack freelancer. It's those other skills that we have to have in our arsenal from sales to marketing, to admin, to understanding bookkeeping, to just business basics, to advanced business things. We have to start understanding. We don't have to be a master of these yet. We're still level one in all these skills, yeah. but we have to start acquiring these other skills because the second you decide to become a freelancer, a, by definition, a professional earning money for what you do. Mm-hmm. Now you have to start taking these other skills seriously because you are no longer a hobbyist. If you just want to, to do this for a hobby and you just want to focus on the things that you're passionate about, then you are you can stay as a hobbyist and you don't have to worry about these other skills. So generally speaking, there's a lot of skills. We can chat about some of these, but I don't know how much time you have here today. (laughs) I can stay here all day with you. But yeah, those are kind of like that's the archetype here.
0: I love this. And I have spoken to people before about the fact that it is especially at the beginning. And I love the video game analogy. You're looking around and you do you know, it's very easy to start looking at someone who's way ahead of you and feel like, oh, gosh, I'm never going to get there or I need to get there tomorrow, which is impossible. Like (laughs) anybody who feels like they're behind, you have to take, you know, the journey of a thousand miles, right? It begins with a single step. But I also talk to people about the fact that like as much as you're looking ahead and wishing that you were in that future place, there are things that I miss about being new. And you can never be new after you're not new anymore. You can go be new at other things, but there is a certain amount of that kind of magic when your passion is that high that you have to really struggle to to maintain as you move through the rest of your experience. So like relish that, even if you feel like, oh, gosh, I'm not sure that my clients are going to get the most polished professional experience. You know what they're getting? They are getting you killing yourself to make every single photo shoot or whatever else the very best it could be. And that is its own brand of magic, so.
1: Well said. I think an easy analogy here also would be like social media. When you first start to do social media account, TikTok, Instagram, whatever, and you're at zero followers. Right. And you see these people with hundreds of thousands or millions of followers. That's the same feeling that you get in sure. a video game when you're level one and they're level 60. So, mm-hmm. so let's talk about how to get out of this. If that's cool with you, like how do we get to the next level yeah. as a level one noob, yes mode freelancer? I kind of already alluded to this, but it's just identifying the skills that you actually lack because everyone... This is the frustrating part about freelancing. And the wonderful thing about having a podcast about freelancing is there's a million ways to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So there's almost infinite topics I can talk about in my show, but that also means when we're in a nice little like boxed episode here where we have to get to a conclusion we don't have time to cover every potential thing that you could do one of the most important skills as a freelancer is people skills i cannot overstate this and the i rarely meet a highly successful freelancer especially in the photography space Mm -hmm. who lack people skills they're usually great to to chat and hang out with you're no exception Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so that's the area that i would start with if you are struggling to get out of this mode is just like learn to like to be around people that's and that's i think that's a skill that can be learned some people don't like being around people and it can be a side effect of your upbringing it can be a side effect of how you're treated in, in middle school and high school it can be a, uh it could be there's a million reasons it could go into it but if you just start hanging around people that you actually genuinely like and genuinely want to be around i think that's a great place to start to start building those people's skills and then there's a book that i actually I literally this this was not planned i keep this on my desk this is the first edition copy let me try to get the lighting right yeah of how to how to win friends oh, and influence wow. people this is from like the 1930s this exact copy that's a really good place to start if you are like if you're just like i need a i need a a, a, a map to follow right. for for people's skills it's called how to win friends and influence people it is a time tested it is Written in the 30s, and it's still one of the most highly recommended books today. And you can do audiobook or physical book, or you can buy the original, like first edition, like <laughs> I did because I'm a crazy person. Uh, but that's that's where I would start. Is just like start learning people, and if you if you can just really engage with people and people like you, that's how many industries get started. Even in I'm thinking about my my realtor that helped us buy this house that I'm in right now. It's like we chose him because I met him. I liked him. And I'm not sitting here vetting everything he's ever done. I'm just the guy I like. He's going to help us buy a house. Cool. And he did a great job. So that's the start. Just like start building those skills. And there's other skills in marketing and sales. There's other like ways you can be a better creative. But I think that people skills is the foundation that everything else is built on. Assuming you're good enough at what you do. And even if you're not amazing at what you do, I still say there's always a client at the level that you're at as a, as a freelancer. Like if you're a level one, yes mode noob, there's somebody out there that, either can't afford or cannot even qualify to work with the level six. So you you will pair up together. So no matter what level you're at, there's somebody out there who is on your level as a client that you can connect with.
0: Ooh, I like that. I guess I had never really thought about it like that, but that's absolutely true. And the people skills thing, I say this all the time, like learning how to use a camera is there's a finite amount of buttons like (laughs) there's the technology is not rocket science it's not that hard it you know it's challenging enough and certainly I'm not discounting what it takes to learn how to make a good photograph but um but a lot of people can do that not everybody is great at that interpersonal thing like I think that a great portrait in particular really comes from putting your subject at ease or on edge or whatever the look is that you're going for, you're kind of in the driver's seat on a lot of that. You're absolutely right. Like those people skills are so important. And for those of you listening, and I know that there are a lot who sort of self-identify as introverted and, you know, you hear like, go get comfortable being around people and you just kind of want to crawl into bed. I would argue that, you know, that's not so much a disqualifier as it is probably going to dictate your niche a little bit like that is going to steer you toward Perhaps smaller groups of people, or working one-on-one with people, introverts are not anti-social. They are just social in a different way.
1: Yep. I got two more quick things to share here, um, as far as getting out of this level that might be helpful for people. The first is obviously build your portfolio up because anytime I mean, I've hired tons of freelancers in my life, like as a as a business that is helping freelancers, I have to. Work, I just it would be outside of my brand to not hire freelancers sure. to help me with things, right? So when I'm hiring freelancers the first thing that I'm going to look at before I even consider them is the portfolio. That mm-hmm. is the proof that you're good at what you do. So this is where you've got to start building that out. And in order to be able to build that out, to get more people to say yes to you, the thing that I think passion-focused, passion-led freelancers and photographers look at is it, or what, what they tend to do is they, are, they come from a, a place of unintentional selfishness. And here's what I mean is you look at the skills that you have, and this is what I can do with my camera, or this is what I can do with whatever skills I have. And you try to pigeonhole yourself into the client's world saying like, I do this. Do you want it or not? Versus coming at it from the perspective of what does the client want and listening to the market and and trying to figure out how can I shape or improve or sharpen my skill set to match what they need or Mm -hmm. want. And I think it's it's a subtle but really profound difference when it comes to how we show up as freelancers. I will recommend two episodes of this and I will put all links or anything I mentioned on this episode, I will literally put it on one link on our website so that you don't have to go hunting all this stuff down. We can talk about what that link is at the end of the show because I just like to make it as easy for the listeners as possible. Nice. But episode 235 and 236 is a two-part series called The Full Stack Freelancer. And it's basically talking about the skill sets you need to, to learn above and beyond your creative skills in order to succeed. And this is going to be helpful for any level freelancer, but especially level one and probably level two here.
0: Nice. Okay. So level one, you're basically, I mean, maybe level one is like not even quite yet in business, right? Like you are just starting to figure out what it is you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Whereas level two, you've started to get that. You're working on your people's skills, but you're still at kind of that generalist.
1: I'd say, I'd say level zero is like, you're not technically a freelancer because you haven't been paid yet. Right. Yeah. That's your, an aspiring freelancer. Level one is like, I've got my first gig. It's my cousin. He's paying me got it. 20 bucks for some, some Instagram photos or whatever, you know, like something just, yeah, I'll do it, whatever. I don't care, Sure. but you're being paid. That's level one. Like you've yep. been paid a dollar, you know? Okay. Yep. that's, that'd be what I consider level one. And now you've got to start figuring out how to actually turn this into a repeatable system for getting clients, which is a whole other animal. Sure.
0: So then we're into level two, you're going after it. How do you get out of that into that next area?
1: If you are good at what you do, you listen to the the people you talk to, you're sharpening your other skills above and beyond that. Mm -hmm. It won't be that long until you're level two, which is I call the generalist. Um, And this is where typically what I say is kind of the button seat jobs that a lot of freelancers find themselves in. And what I mean by button seat jobs is if you look at Fiverr or Upwork and you're looking for a gig, like you're looking for somebody to hire, because I've I've done this before in my past, it's a bunch of grids and it's a transaction. So I'm looking for a butt and a seat. Mm -hmm. I don't really care who it is. That person might be full-time, they might be part-time, but I'm looking for a butt in the seat that matches this thing. I need an editor for my podcast. Yeah. I need this little thing. And this is generally where a lot of people find themselves earlier in their career is they get into these services that are like, hey, they're in need, right? They're, people are looking for those services. There's a demand for it, but mm-hmm. there's not a lot of a lot to differentiate you from the, the butt next to you. So for the client perspective, they don't necessarily care which butt is in the seat. You're just there because mm-hmm. you tend to just be a generalist. This is where you're trying to you're struggling to say no to people. You're still in yes mode and you're trying to appeal to everyone. And one of the sayings we have on our show that I've if I looked at our transcripts and found this, it's probably a hundred times at least. When you try to appeal to everyone you appeal to no one. I'm sure you said something similar on your show. Because of this, you're going to get beaten down on pricing. You might still get consistent clients, but they're underpaying you. These types of people are more focused on what's it going to cost me versus what are you going to do for me? Mm -hmm. And again, you can start to see why you don't want to be in this level for too long. It could be good because you're finally starting to make some money. It could be good because you're starting to build your portfolio. It could be good because you've got your your hands in a lot of different little pies, <laughs> so you can figure out what you like and you don't like. Mm-hmm. However, living in this area for too long is detrimental to your long-term brand because if you haven't found a way to differentiate yourself in some way, shape, or form as the go-to person for X, Y, and or Z, and found a way to differentiate yourself to where you can detach your pricing from the service, then you're setting yourself up to be the person who's just known for like, he'll edit your photos for cheap. And you don't want to be that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you were ever in this position in what you do, but like, I imagine if you were looking at what your, your offer is now with, and if, forgive me, it's been over a year. So no, I'm trying no, to, that's okay. but I believe it is the yearbook club mm-hmm. is your thing. Oh, and good for you. Family <laughs> <photography>, yeah. Family <laughs> photography on a subscription basis, essentially. Yep. And it solves the real need of like making sure my photos of my children, as they're growing up, I'm not missing any key moments in their lives. That's mm-hmm. the problem you solve. That is not. Me saying I need new headshots for my LinkedIn profile, right? right. Like one headshot's is good of another. I don't know. <laughs> I, no, I, I know it's not. I know well, it's not the case. I, I've seen some great headshot photographers. So sure. I don't want to I don't want to like poo-poo headshot photographers. They all hate me now. Sorry.
0: Not at all. I was gonna say, I mean, this I think actually with photographers, like you can actually be a generalist photographer where you're it's not just I'm a headshot photographer, it's I shoot headshots and families and newborns and seniors and uh you know, I'll do Um, I'll photograph your car if you need that, you know, listed on some sort. Like using a camera, you can use a camera in a lot of different ways and you can be good at doing a lot of different things. But if you don't start to specialize in something, you fall into exactly the trap that you were talking about, which is the if you appeal to everybody, you appeal to nobody. And what happens is that person gets stuck in the like wash cycle of constant price shoppers like, they're just always being, you know, bid against and because they don't have anything where they're separating as you very well put like separating the offer from the price they're you know and it it like beats you down over time. I feel like that is a sort of a demoralizing position to be in for any long sustained period of time.
1: I I have to agree. I know somebody in the photography space who he just makes all his living photographing cars in like the like street racing scene. Yeah. Like random niche, but that's all he does. And he is known for that. And he's in like, his photos are in all the magazines in that niche. And like, he's on all the websites and he's like the go-to guy for that niche. And that to me blows my mind because I like, is there enough work in that niche to do it? But he does really well for himself. So, but it just shows you like, you can make great money. I mean, I I even know this myself. I I was making multiple six figures producing heavy metal bands in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And I made it work. So, that's why when we start talking about the generalist, in my world, that was, I record, I mix, I master, I'll do all the services. I will do metal bands, country bands, right. rap artists. Like, and I think a lot of people can kind of like conceptually understand this when I say it this way. If I'm a rap artist, I'm not gonna go to the country music producer. Right. If I'm the country music artist, I'm not gonna go to the rap producer because both types of clients have vastly different needs right. and desires and wants. And both studios are set up to completely serve those needs specifically. So in your niche, in your service, whatever you're doing as a photographer, the same exact things apply. If we stay in the generalist button seat place for too long and we never get out of it, this is where so many people go to die as a freelancer, not physically. But they they die as a freelancer because it's too hard. They're not making enough to make a full-time living. They're in what I call zombie land mode where they're making just enough to survive but not nearly enough to thrive and maybe Mm -hmm. not enough to survive. Enough to feel like they're doing something good and then they stay in this level for forever until yep. they're just like, I've got to get a job. This is not working. Yep. And I'm sure you've seen people that do that because I've seen plenty that have done that. Absolutely. Uh, but let's talk, let's, talk, let's talk about how to get out of level two here. If you're trying to get out of this, it is literally, you're, you've been in yes mode for forever. You've been a button in a lot of different seats. It's time to start figuring out which of these areas you want to move into. And there's something that I teach that is not something I came up with. I think it's like a Japanese thing. There's a few ways to frame this, but there's the PSP framework. Passion, skills, profit, right? And of all the different clients you work with, just think of your like your favorite client you've ever worked with. And you try to list out all the different niches you could serve. You can even rate this, put it on a spreadsheet if you're a spreadsheet junkie like me, or if you're not, just feel it out if you're a feeler. On a scale of one to five, how passionate am I about this service or mm-hmm. this type of client? On a scale of one to five, how um, how are, how is my skill set when mm-hmm. serving this this type of client? Uh, profit how, on a scale of one to five, how much money does this right could this bring in? Because not all niches and ty- types of clients are have the same level of money. And there's a quote that somebody said recently that I heard that I it's startling, but I still like the sentiment. Here is <laughs> and this is going to get a lot of enemies here. Solve rich people problems, they pay more. Yeah, yeah. And that is it's just like if you're working and i can say this because i worked i worked with minimum wage employees i worked like bands that I would work that i would record working at taco bell minimum wage employees mm-hmm. legitimately i've worked on that side of the market and i've also worked with you know funded companies hiring me for consulting who have hundreds of employees right mm-hmm. and that type of client is a lot easier to sell to than the person who's, you know, they've got three members of the band working at Taco Bell two work somewhere else. And they've got to save up for a year to afford your services. You can still make money in that world. Don't get me wrong. That's what I built my entire Mm -hmm. career on, but it comes with a lot of drawbacks. So that's why I put profit in there. It's not like you have to have a five in it, but the higher that number on the profit scale, the easier it's going to be. You're swimming downstream versus upstream.
0: Absolutely. And I, you know, I think I appreciate you saying like, I'm going to make a lot of enemies with something like that, because of course, you know, many of us, I think, want to serve populations, ideally, that, you know, aren't just lifestyles of the rich and famous. It's, I agree. I think that, you know, we many of us don't fall into that category, so it's not who we necessarily feel most aligned with. But it is good to go in, eyes wide open, knowing that selling is harder when somebody is strapped for cash, and your business model may need to adjust in order to accommodate higher let's say, uh, you know, volume of clients. instead, you know, if you're charging less money because that's what your clients can afford, then you're going to have to do more work to make the same amount of money. So
1: in any niche or any market, there is an upper limit to what you can charge for your services. And the more saturated that market and the less money that your clients have, the lower that upper limit is. Mm-hmm. But if that's the case for your market, you have a really low limit because you're working with people who um, are not super privileged and rich. And maybe there's a lot of, competition. The way you make your profit in that world is becoming the most efficient Mm -hmm. and having the best systems and processes and even automation, delegation, all those things that bring your time for fulfillment down. And my old podcast co-host was a master at this he was a pun accident, I accidentally punned there. He's a mastering engineer uh-huh. and he was charging like 60 $70 per song, which is really low in the mastering world. But he built a multi six figure mastering studio off of that because he had become a master of systems and automations. And he had everything dialed into where he had like scripts written on his computer. That's the game we play is if you're going to be in a lower price per client or average client revenue type of business model, you've got to find ways to find efficiencies that other people haven't found. And the less efficient you are, the more that hurts you, not Mm -hmm. the client, because you can only charge so much. So you have to become more efficient. And that's a whole other topic and whole other episode that I didn't mean to get into today, but it's worth talking about at some point. Yeah.
0: So we're moving from level two into level three. As you start to look at that PSP framework and you're kind of deciding this is the thing or these are the couple of things that are are like where I want to kind of, you know, plant my flag.
1: Exactly. I love that analogy, planting your flag. That's where we get to level three, which is the traction phase. This is where things start to click and you feel like a real business owner because things are starting to work. Emails are coming to your inbox. You're getting referrals. Like you're maybe getting some website traffic from organic sources or even social media sources. Like it's just, it's a good place where you're in that like low, high part-time to low full-time earnings as a freelancer mm-hmm. generally is what this looks like. And the numbers can be everywhere for all different niches because you're starting to have some set some success with some sort of niche people know you're good people are telling other people about you you are again you've planted that flag and you said i am here to do this i am the family photographer in north carolina who will take care of documenting the journey of your family as they've grown and evolved and changed and making all those memories a reality so you don't have to remember them you can just look at those memories right Right. that's the thing you're known for and along with this comes the pitfalls, right? Every, every level has a pitfall and a danger. And this is where we get into the, what I call the hope marketing uh, word of mouth death trap. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is actually one of the topics I pitched to you as far as like something we could talk about. So I'll I'll breeze over this, but generally speaking, and this is another like big pillar of my entire brand of six figure creative that I will like, I will die on this Mm -hmm. is word of mouth is a death trap. And there's something called survivorship bias that freelancers don't consider when they consider referrals as a client acquisition method. And I'll try to break this down as clear as I can. Uh, if I say, I what is the number one source of clients in your niche? What is your number one source of clients? <laughs> uh, I know what you're asking for. <laughs> yeah, word of mouth. Right, and and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with word of mouth. That's the thing. Like, it's not like a gotcha statement. Like, yep. you're great at what you do. You've been doing this for a long time, so naturally, you will have enough past clients, current clients, friends, family, your name is known in this industry, in your area, so that you can keep your calendar full and your roster full with word of mouth clients. And here's the death trap. It's everyone listening right now who is not at that level. Aname has gotten there for a long period of, of maybe struggle, pain, hard work, determination, maybe some uh, lucky advantage that she, that she has that you don't have as a listener. So what can happen is you hear that word of mouth is her number one source of clients, So therefore, that should be my number one source of clients. And the death trap is you are ignoring all the other freelancers that never made it to anime's position. Therefore, they they're not telling you that word of mouth didn't work for them. You never hear from those people. Those people had to go back and get day jobs. So you only hear from the survivors who made it to the point where word of mouth is their number one source of clients. And if you're good at what you do, that will that's an inevitability. So what do you do if word of mouth isn't keeping your clients full, your your uh, your calendar full isn't enough to sustain you? Well, that's where you have to start learning the other client acquisition methods that are out there and start generating leads instead of waiting for leads. Yeah. So again, that's a whole other topic, whole other episode we even have. I'll put that on the show notes link that I'll give you for for this on episode 225 of our podcast called How to Build Your Own Client Acquisition Machine. There's a lot that goes into that. But I will say the, the downside of this traction phase is you get lulled in this false sense of security. You might start getting word of mouth. You might start filling up your roster. You can start raising your rates. It's a wonderful feeling. But- as freelancers, we have these natural ebbs and flows, feasts and famines. especially in the photography needs where you're doing family photography, you have these big peaks and valleys where I think spring and fall is huge mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. And then maybe summer and especially winter might be not so fast for you. Right. And again, some sometimes you don't have any any way to you can't change the seasons sure. and, or anything, but you can change your lead flow throughout that time. And again, I wouldn't have honored do anything different at all. But if you're a listener who's not keeping their their calendar full. They don't have leads coming in all the time. They have these long periods of feast or famine. This is where we gotta get out of hope marketing and start learning these client acquisition skills. These are learned skills. There's a lot that goes into this. I'm not gonna pretend like it's easy, but it's a learned skill that you can start taking client acquisition into your own hands. And the time to start paying attention to that and doubling down on that is when you are in this level three traction phase, where you've proven what they call product market fit. The thing that you are selling is a thing that people want. And you know what service is sold to what people in your area. And you're still kind of figuring out what that price point is. Maybe there's some price elasticity there where you're kind of figuring out what's my upper limit. Mm-hmm. Oh, things are getting real slow. I'm have to bring that down a bit. It's kind of a dynamic pricing thing, kind of like Airbnb does. Yeah. That's where we've got to start doubling down on client acquisition and build things that are going to bring us in clients long-term. But this is where we need to do a couple things to kind of get out of this phase into the next level. And that is use a free time to work on client acquisition, yep. improving your offer as a, as a freelancer. And I think your offer is awesome where you're doing the yearbook club. Like that's a unique thing where I can't just go price shop that to every other photographer out there. And right. you know, a flat rate for a shoot. It's not just, mm-hmm. it is like this thing that's like, you get all these wonderful, cool things and you're paying per month. It's not apples to apples, it's apples to oranges. Yeah. So now because of that, you kind of have a monopoly on this offer because no one seems to be directly ripping you off. At least at your level in your area, yeah. Maybe that's changed since the last time we talked, but I don't think that has. Yeah. Well,
0: I teach it, so I'm I'm yeah. ready for people to uh, to start doing that more. But absolutely, all through my career, I feel like the things that have helped catapult me, and I'm going to use the phrase to the next level, have oh. been things <laughs> have been things where I was like, I'm going to try this thing that nobody else is doing. And I'm just going to lean into it. It is easier to to go left when everybody else is going right.
1: Yeah, there's and there's one more thing to kind of focus on in this in this level that is usually not always figured out to the to the maximum ability. And that is making sure you're focused on the right client because you can't have traction and you can have a really cool service and a great offer. But it may not be offered to the best client for your business And sometimes that's intentionally. Sometimes you're just picking the client you want to work with, Mm. but sometimes it's unintentional. So I'll, I'll use an example in one of my businesses and something that I have a lot of familiarity with, podcast production, podcast production agency. I have one that helps people launch and grow their podcast and do all the editing and like all the junk, your podcast, you know, all the stuff that goes sure. into launching a podcast and making sure you have great audio. I don't even know how my audio sounds right now. Hopefully it's good enough to like make me sound credible. I don't even have the right, I've never used Ecamm live. So this is an area where I'm like, <laughs> did I choose the right audio audio input? Anyways, so podcast production, I can offer podcast production services, something greatly need, something that people want and need, right? However, when we start talking about the best client for that service, I could offer it to people who are hobbyists, sports bros in their basement, talking about local sports, or I could offer the same service to small medium business owners who are earning three to $5 million a year. Mm-hmm. Which one makes more sense from a business perspective right. solely? I know there's there's like your own preferences, your own like feelings and what you care about that go into that. So we have passion uh, as well as skills and profit, but all of the things being equal, the business that serves the the clients with money and budgets are going to go further. Like sure. that client can generally pay twenty five dollars to $35,000 a year for those services. Whereas somebody working in their parents' basement doing local sports could probably barely scrape together $1,000 a year. Yeah. So we're talking a 30X pricing difference just by going after the right market. Yeah. And that is a much easier business to run. So I, I can tell you as passionate as I might be about sports bros in their basement talking about local sports, I'm not really, but I'm just pretending I am. If I could be as passionate about that as I wanted to be but I cannot build a business for that. Mm-mm. So I am better off building the business that actually is workable and then using my spare time to help out the people that I wanna help yes, out. Yes. And so like, we're not running a charity here. And that's the thing about business is you can be a wonderfully successful business and then shove as much of that money into charity, however you want to help the people that you love and care about. But when it comes to building business, we have to, as best we can, as long as we're not going against our ethics or morals, we gotta think about the business fundamentals of what is a better business to build. Mm-hmm. So. And there's a lot of gray area there that I don't want to get into. Like, I'm not going to ever tell someone to do something they don't want to do. Yeah. But just all things being equal, that's an easier business to run when you're working with clients that that have funds. Like, so yeah. I guess it's the same thing I said earlier. Solvers people problems, they pay better. It's just a more jarring way of saying it that yeah, way. Yeah,
0: no. And I mean, it is, I think it's probably bears repeating in my industry and in photography, because I think that that is a trap that a lot of people get stuck in. And they, I think that ultimately- Again, I'm all for you can set your business up any way you want, but because photography is a time for money business that can only be automated and outsourced so far, the ultimate thing that you have to come to grips with is that if your desire to serve a particular community does not align with the business model that you want, there are other ways to work that, which is go make a bunch of money doing this and then funnel either the extra time or the extra money into doing the thing that sort of fills your cup.
1: I have to agree with that. I uh, want to get to level four now. I do. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're dragging along. We're, we're pretty far. I know. Far this. I, know yeah, I know. But I know.
0: I'm enjoying so much of this. These are thorough. They're good. good.
1: Yeah. Hopefully the listeners enjoying. I yeah. always always try to think about it from the listener's perspective, which is why I talk fast. We got to get so much through so much stuff. I got it. true. Level four. I just call it the pro. I mean, there's probably a million ways you can name any of these levels. The pro. You're a pro. Like your full-time income, you're probably above fifty k. Uh, you've got some decent systems built out because you've done this enough times. You have some repeatability in like your delivery. You have like your onboarding systems. You have your delivery systems. You've got software set up. Like you've you've got it dialed in because you don't grow to that level without having some of these things done. You've got decent grasp grasp on pricing. You you're not like the cheapest person. Hopefully, mm-hmm. you are. You're probably not the most expensive person at this income level. You've got to figure it out right like you're probably feeling good there's some s- stability going on you've got some source of clients it's probably just word of mouth unless you are like following this to a t and you're like you heard me say like don't fall into the word of mouth death trap and you've built out client acquisition systems f- through some sort of channels all right all that sounds great but here's where things start to fall apart as this level four pro is and i this is from by the way this is these are all the levels i've gone through myself and yeah. many people that i know have gone through so this is me not casting stones this is me just this is how it was where we work too much. <laughs> yes. And what can happen is like, we never really get out of yes mode. That's more of like a state of mind. So you're, it, because as you get in this full time, you, ha, you have, you have to make money. Like if you left your day job or you're the single earner in your family, or even if you're not, and you're still a two income family, but you've, you, do you want to earn more because you've got bills to pay? You got to, you got to do all these things. Mm -hmm. There's the stress of taking on what I call bill paying work. And this is the sad reality that we all have to face as freelancers is not every project we do is going to be something we are fully into and love the client and love the the services we're offering. And just that's, that's reality, especially in this phase where you're you're pro it's your full focus. So sometimes when things are slow or when you need more money, you just got to say yes to, to, to crap gigs. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Because of that, you tend to work too much because you never know where the next client's going to come from. So you're just trying to eat while you can. Right. And this is where I, in my, my longest week, Oh God, I worked over a hundred hours. I think there's only like 160 hours in a week, but I worked well over a hundred hours. And it's because I got a gig that was like an emergency gig. It was a good opportunity for me, but they were on a timeline and it was like a label project for me mixing, mixing an album. And the band came in the studio and we worked it basically just worked until I couldn't fell asleep on the sofa next to the thing, got up and worked until I couldn't. I did that for like a week straight. And then the last day I pulled a 24 hour shift because we had to get the album mastered, but to ship it out via next same day, whatever that Friday, it was a whole ordeal that is unsustainable. The older we get, of I'm course. 36 now. Yeah. I was probably 26 when that happened. You can do that at 26. You can't do that at 26 and you can't do that with a family either. Sure. So obviously we're all in different places, life and age and family status. But I don't think anyone wants to do weeks like that for long term. Right. Like that's something we can do occasionally, but that's something we can't keep up. And if you do, you're going to sacrifice so many parts of your life that now you're building your business around your life. Or I'm sorry, your life around your business instead of the opposite, where you should be building your business to support your life. Right. So we've got to start getting out of this. And that's where we start getting out of like, how do we how do we get out of this pro world where maybe we've hit an income ceiling of what we can earn? Maybe we're working too much uh, because that's kind of the areas you get into is like, I don't have any more time to make more money because I'm working all the time. Therefore, how do we get out of this, this kind of trap or ceiling that I've set myself in here? Uh, Any questions about that? Or can I kind of talk about like getting out of this this mess?
0: I, (laughs) yep. I want to hear how (laughs) your formula for getting out.
1: What has worked for me and what I've seen work for a lot of people is twofold. And this is, there's a, there's a, again, I hate that there's so many ways to solve these things, but if you want to earn more money, there's only two ways to do it. You either uh, get more clients or make each client worth more. Yeah. Right. And, and that's like, that's the, that's the basis. Yeah. And we talked about getting more clients. That's just what we call the, the client acquisition uh, skill set. And let's talk about the other way of making each client worth more. Ari alluded to one of those ways earlier where, We systemize, delegate, automate things. We speed up processes. We cut out crap that shouldn't be there. And we bring our level of time down per project. Mm -hmm. That's one way of making each client worth more because they're not paying you more, but they're worth more per hour that you put in. Yes. And so that's one way to make clients worth more. The other way is to literally get your prices raised. And there's a couple ways to raise prices that are worth talking about. The first is what I call dynamic pricing. And that is just, I I said it earlier, when times are slow, you may have to lower your rates to like fill in gaps. And when times are booming, you've just got to skyrocket prices in order to like, essentially you're rejecting clients by pricing them out. And there's pros and cons to this. And I'm not gonna get into all the pros and cons of that, but that's one way to do it. And I learned this from, from my Airbnb. I, I ran a six figure Airbnb for years. And this is how I, I did it. It was basically, if you're booking something more than three months out, you're gonna pay the highest price, price possible for my Airbnb. If uh, And then less than three months out, I'm gonna raise to what I call my base rate. And that's if you're booked one to three months out. And then when we get to less than one month out, if I have anything on my calendar that's open less than a month out, fire sale. Like I'm just dropping the rates to get the calendar filled, And that was what I found to be the best method before all these automated solutions that came right. in to like auto price it for you. That was how it was done. And, and I did the exact same thing as a freelancer. If, if my calendar's booked up or if someone's looking for really far, far out uh, gigs, I'm going to charge the most for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I am like t- two weeks out and I need to fill a slot, then, or had a cancellation or something, then I'm going to bring the price down to, to accommodate for that. So you can do that as a freelancer. And the same, it's, it's, it's kind of the same for you Ana, with your recurring revenue thing. When you get to capacity mm-hmm. with like a higher capacity with your your book club, mm-hmm. you just start to raise the rates. Mm-hmm. And if that churn happens and it starts to fall down below a level, you can lower rates. And this can cause some issues where some people are paying more than others. So you've got to find ways to account for that or communicate that to people. But that is a way to do it. So that's, that's just one method. The other method is... Uh, having a better monetization method. And that is like for you, actually, the yearbook club is just by default, a better monetization method, because instead of a client paying you one time, and then they don't come back to you again, until they remember that they need more services from you. Mm -hmm. They're paying you a flat monthly fee, and you're proactively reaching out and getting them to book services. So by the Way you have your business set up, they are going to consume and need more of your services. Right. So a client is going to be worth more to you, not just over the year, but over the lifetime of them. Right. So that is the other way is just finding ways to make clients worth more. And you can do things like upsells, cross sells. You can do things like um, additional services. Like there's a bunch of ways to do this, but that's the way you got to do it is just make each client worth more. You can do by raising your prices, offering more services better monetization method, recurring revenue services, et cetera. Any questions about all that so far?
0: No, I love it. I don't know that off the top of my head, I can come up with a good way for most of my audience members to have a dynamic pricing uh, model. It would probably be really confusing and it would probably be hard to manage over time because of yeah. like brand. I get asked a lot, should I raise my rates all at once? You know, if I, I need to make a big jump. I just ran my numbers and realized that I'm like way undercharging. Should I triple my prices all at once or should I like inch them up? So they're almost putting themselves in a dynamic pricing, but it's all increase. Like I'm gonna increase by a hundred dollars every three months or whatever. And I am always pro, just rip the bandaid off, triple your prices, because otherwise, you're just going to be like, you know, people come in and then you lose them and then they come in and then you lose them. If you jump by triple, it's going to take you, I always say, about six months to start to find your people in that at that level. However, <laughs> and in the meantime, maybe you're taking clients, uh, you know, one offs because they say, hey, I need a photographer on Tuesday and you're free and you're like, OK, cool, I'll do that for cheap but that's not on your website and that's not in your brand. You know, that you're sort of like reestablishing yourself.
1: Yeah, the, You bring up a really good point. And this is something worth just mentioning is uh, snowflake syndrome. Every niche has snowflake syndrome. Every niche, right. every industry photographers are no different. Music producers are no different. They, they look at their services and their industry and it's like, well, I'm such a special We're unique different. snowflake. <laughs> Whatever Brian says can't pertain to my photo studio. Yeah. So I get this from time to time. Uh, so I always just say I challenge that when people say it doesn't work in my industry, I challenge that. However, you are most likely right in this regard, where the specifics of the photography niche, especially if you're not in recurring revenue uh, services, may be difficult. Because in my world, it was I would have clients coming in all the time, mm-hmm. who and, and it would take me, you know, I, I I had it was like generally two days per song, so it would be like they book up a week or two weeks or a month in my calendar, mm-hmm. and then the next. I, mean, I have to book them a month out and then two months after that. So I, I'd stack my stuff way right. in advance and photography may not be the same way because it generally seems to be lower time commitment. You're not working with a client for weeks on something like, right. so it's a, it's a bit different. I, I'll acknowledge that, but I just want to say before you throw anything out, listening to the show, think how can I not, I can't, it's not like I can't make this work. It's just how can I make this work? Absolutely. Or how can I, yeah. And
0: let me go back and reiterate that. Like I built my entire business by saying well, maybe we can do that. So like, yeah. prove me wrong, folks.
1: <laughs> yeah. See The fact that you went into to recurring uh, revenue services or like to build MRR or monthly recurring revenue, to me, proves that you are going outside above and beyond yeah, yeah, yeah. the norm of what people typically do in that space. And I've seen just about every industry do that in some way. And some do it way more often than others. I don't know how many people in your niche have moved to the monthly recurring service thing. But it needs to happen more. I don't see I don't see it enough in the music production space, but it makes sense in, in all. Uh, but but yeah, when you triple your prices out of nowhere, uh, it can be difficult because uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Chase Jarvis. He has a famous quote of, your $500 client will never be your $5,000 yep. client. So when that happens, you've got to find ways to level up your clientele. Yep. And it may mean you need to choose, like shift markets or shift niches from, from the two guys in a parent's basement doing sports yep. <laughs> radio to, you know, small and medium business owners who actually have budgets. But yeah. Whatever it is, as long as you're raising rates in a way that's sustainable and you're not pricing yourself out of your own market, continue to raise rates. And I've, I've seen both ways work where people just like are way undercharging for way too long and you triple your rates all of a sudden and you lose half your clients. But wait, I tripled my rates but lost half my clients. That I'm working works. less and making more. <laughs> wow. Like it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. The math is good. <laughs> yeah. Every every niche is different. And I, I, I try to acknowledge that as best I can until I learn more about every single little niche. Um, all right. So that's, that's basically level four of the pro. Um, and if you are reducing the amount of time it takes to do something, or if there's no way to reduce the time, reducing your time, means mean, you can get people to help you. Yeah. Um, like this is how I got my little Tennessee started in Alabama, moved to Tennessee, heavy metal recording and mixing studio to where I was earning $300 an hour is because I was, I had hit my upper limit of what I can charge. And there was a, a, a definite limit of what I could charge for my services but I drastically, drastically reduced the amount of time it took me to fulfill those services, yeah. not because I cut corners, but because I hire great people to do the basics of session prep, naming files, importing things, getting everything ready for me to do just the stuff that only I could do yeah. so that any hour I work is the highest and best use of my time. And that's how you go from level four to level five. So level five is the six-figure creative. So it's on brand for my podcast called Six Figure Creative. So I have to call Level Five the Six Figure Creative, and this is obviously like it's easy to know if you're in this level or not. You're making 100 grand or more a year in whatever the equivalent is for your currency. I just go off the U.S. dollar, so like 80 grand in pounds is considered a six figure creative, but maybe you want to get to that elusive six six figures in uh, in your local currency. And in some currencies, 100 grand ain't nothing (laughs) because you're such a small yeah yeah. So this is all based on the U S dollar here. Uh, and this, at this point, you've got to have solid systems in place. You are dependable. You are teachable. You are open to change. You're not stuck in your ways. Like I've rarely seen anyone at this level who are any of those things. Uh, you are from most freelancers. You are probably here because word of mouth has worked for you thus far. And you're probably still, you've built your word of mouth snowball to the point where you're able to sustain yourself. But, this is a great place to be. And in this world, you can stay here for as long as you want. This is a great business. And and honestly, actually, I even have a show an episode called why six figures is minimum wage for freelancers. And I go into all the arguments why the minimum you should be shooting for as a freelancer is six figures. So in some regards, level five, it feels like the top, but that's just the beginning. In my, in my opinion, after you talk about taxes, insurance as a U.S. citizen, uh, as you start talking about self-employment tax, as the expenses you, you incur as a business owner, the software you need to pay for processing fees, all these things, wipe your income down to where your take-home pay can be anywhere from 50 to $70,000 a year at a hundred thousand dollars. So to make what is considered a decent salary in the US, 50 to $75,000, takes 100 grand. Yep. So that's why I say it's minimum wage, especially in a city like Nashville, LA, New York, something, you know, these other cities with high living expenses. Yeah. So there may be a case where you want to go above and beyond this. Sure. This is where we start talking about getting to level six, which is what I consider the graduation from, from freelancing. You've graduated from just a simple freelancer to a true entrepreneur. It takes a little different type of brain. You've got to be, this is where we have the creative versus the entrepreneur. Many people are 100% creative, 0% entrepreneur. That is a lot of people out there. Yeah. Some people are 100% entrepreneur, 0% creative. There's a lot of business owners out there like that. Like me, I consider myself actually more entrepreneurial than I am creative. I'm probably 60-40. Yeah. And, and that's okay. Like everyone has a different blend. They're two different spectrums that you kind of fall on. So you can kind of chart your own path, but there's something that I call like a product ladder that is worth considering if you're trying to get from six figures to multiple six figures as a freelancer. And this is how I did it. And so people can also consider doing something like this themselves. You have the uh, done for you services, which as a photographer, that is literally what you do is you do the service for them. Mm -hmm. Then the second tier on that product ladder is done with you, where you you help someone do the thing themselves. So it could be getting someone uh, who's, maybe they don't want to pay for the yearbook club, or maybe they want to learn how to do photos themselves and take photos of their families. Maybe they travel a lot and they're not, you know, they can't bring anime with them to uh, Bali for two months, you know, to, yes, you can. to take photos. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, you can. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of money though. If anyone so, out there
0: is listening and wants to take me to Bali for two year or two months, definitely give me a call.
1: <laughs> yeah. So if, when that's the case, you can work with somebody to help it's done with you mm-hmm. to help you do the thing. Mm-hmm. So you're teaching them the skills, you're giving them feedback on things, you're showing them how you like to do things. And this is a wonderful business model. Obviously, it takes less time than it does to fulfill on the services themselves, sure. generally speaking. And it, it lends itself well to a recurring revenue product, uh, and so on and so forth. Right. So you could either as a photographer work with your clients who want to photo- photograph themselves, or you could coach others under your space to do what you do as a photographer. Sure. So there's a bunch of ways to do this. So that's the done with you. And then the final, the, the, the bottom tier on this kind of like product ladder or top tier, whichever way you want to look at it. And this is generally the cheapest solution is do it yourself. And this is where courses, um, solutions where you're not directly still involved one-to-one with the client mm-hmm. to help solve the thing. And I, my, actually, this is what I jumped to immediately as a mixing engineer. I put a course out do you curse on this podcast way, shape or form or you bleep things out? I can, I can censor myself.
0: <laughs> uh, it people curse occasionally. It's not sort of, it's not a super. R-rated... I'm just saying
1: the I'm just saying the product name. Okay. Perfect. This was 20, 2015. I launched a heavy metal mixing course called from shit to gold. Oh, and that was yeah. the very first product that I'd ever put out. And uh, it sold really well. And it was essentially added a whole other six figure revenue stream to my already six-figure freelance business, yeah. so that's that was when I made that transition around 2015 from the freelancer to the entrepreneur who is like now I have multiple income streams. Mm-hmm. Shortly after that, I launched my Airbnb, another six-figure income stream. Yeah. You, st- you start to see where like you start to spot opportunities to earn money doing things that are fun. Yep. And highly leveraged. And so that's where you start getting out to this graduation phase where you've you got your finger in a bunch of different pies. So I've got two software companies. I've got my coaching business. I've got the podcast. I've got courses. I've got uh, service businesses. I've got uh, a bunch of different things. So yeah, yeah that's well, where I'm at today is level six graduation. I'm just in constant graduation phase.
0: I love that. And I think that... Um... You know, it is one of those things as you were talking about these six levels, I was thinking about, you know, I went through for sure all of these as a photographer. I'm still a photographer, so I'm, you know, I'm I'm working in that. And then when I started my education business, I was back at the beginning but I was at the beginning a lot less time. Like I knew, I sort of knew the markers and was like, okay, this isn't going to be sustainable. Now I'm going to move. And I wasn't thinking about it. I didn't have these names for it. I didn't have six, you know, tiers specifically kind of mapped out in my brain. But you do start to learn from the process. And so it becomes more quickly repeatable. And that's where something like becoming a mentor or seeking mentorship um, can help you move through some of these uncomfortable spaces more quickly. I think that when I started as a photographer, education was really hard to come by. I, I went to the bookstore and like bought several books on how to run a photography business, none of which have any valuable information in them uh, pertaining to my current business. But the... Um, but yeah, I mean, it was like, there. it was harder to come by. These days, I feel like there's a lot of good information. In some ways, the hardest part is weeding through everything that's out there to try and find something that resonates with you and sort of, you know, helps you. We all learn differently, so.
1: To me, it's, I always know that if I lost everything in my life right now, everything, I could build it back. Yeah. All, all things being equal, if you learn these skills of... The, the other skills, what I consider the full stack freelancer, you're great at your creative thing. And you have these other skills. You are undefeatable. Yeah. Is that a, is that even a word? I yeah. don't know. But to me, it's like, you can build it back. Like you, you mentioned everything you've or the, the new business you built, you were at the beginning, a short amount of time. It's the same for me. It took me six years for my freelance business to be a six figure business. But then like my software company, the last software company I launched, we were six figures within the first year. Mm-hmm. And the newest business I've launched we are working our way to be six figures a month. So it's like, it's a completely different thing when you've learned all these different skills and you understand the numbers and metrics. And this is to me, to me, one of the most, the places where I feel most creative is in business because to build a business that's sustainable, it is a business you love to do. It's a business that doesn't feed just yourself, but other people with employees, like that to me, I have to solve a lot of problems. And to me, problem solving is the ultimate form of creativity because I love to look at something that seems unsolvable and it's a puzzle and it's fun. And my brain goes a million miles an hour, even faster than I talk to solve these problems. So that, that feeds the creative side of me in a space where I may not be actually creating. Although I do create all the time on my podcast, that's a form of of creativity. So yeah, I mean, that's the six levels. It's like, there's, there's some probably beyond that, that I don't know much about, like probably building six figures in invested income. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what level seven be, but yeah, I haven't got there yet. So I'm, yeah. I'm trying to figure out like what, what else I can do out there. That's that's beyond this.
0: I love it. Um, and when you get there, you just have to come back and talk about level seven.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> well, Brian, this is amazing. And this is, it's a long con, uh, long episode relative to most of my episodes, but this is, uh, was absolutely worth every single minute. I feel like we are, um, it is so important to identify these things sometimes because it makes it feel more doable. It gives you something to aim for so that you don't feel like, well, now I'm, you know, whatever I'm doing right now, this is just what I'm going to be doing forever. Um, so it sounds like you are going to put together a very nice little uh, podcast series for everybody. Tell them where they can find you and find that.
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll just put a link, sixfigurecreative.com slash Tonkin. Uh, I would put your first name, but I even struggle to spell that. I just figured Tonkin is the easier word um, that we can redirect. And I'll create a whole page that's just like all the episodes that I mentioned will have direct links to to that. Um, I'll put a link to our client acquisition toolkit for anyone who's trying to learn the client acquisition world and probably a few other things in there that might be helpful for you based on what we said. And I've got a bunch of notes of like the episodes that are recommended. So I'll make sure that I didn't miss anything. If I do miss something, then Just email me podcast at Six Figure Creative and I will try to add it to the list. Um, But our podcast is called Six Figure Creative. But just go to that link, sixfigurecreative.com slash Tonkin. And that will have everything we discussed on this show.
0: Cool. And that's T-O-N-K-E-N for those of you who, I have two hard names to spell.
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. a
0: pain, but um, and, well, and maybe
1: you'll add it to your own show notes. But it's I, the, number, the number six figure creative yes. Dot com. Of course, uh, we'll have
0: all your yeah. links. Um, well, Brian, it has been a blast. I can't wait to have you back on. But uh, but thank you so much, and I yeah. I hope you have a
1: great day. Yeah, I would love to come back. Just just hit me up. You know where to find me. Absolutely.
0: Well, that's it for this week's episode of This Can't Be That Hard. I'll be back same time, same place next week. In the meantime, you can find more information about this episode, along with all the relevant links, notes, and downloads at thiscantbethathard.com learn. If you like the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Even better, share the love by leaving a review in iTunes. And as always,
1: thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a fantastic week.